thumbnail. Like they used a thumbnail that I looked stupid or a title that made me sound like an idiot. And I was like, Ben, I don't like that. And he goes, oh, you thought that selling out to the algorithm was going to feel good? <laughs> We're live. Let's do this. Um, you want to get right into Twitter or no? Yeah, let's get into Twitter. Wait, let me tell you something really quick. <laughs> I just remembered I was going to tell up. you about this. I did a body fat scan the other day, yesterday. Okay. Bad news for all of us, man. Why? What happened? I was 15%. <laughs> Why is that for all of us? Because if you're 15%, if I'm 15%, like, <laughs> yeah, if I'm 15%, like that sucks for everyone else. I felt like no, I was like 11. That's just because people bullshit like people who are like, oh, I'm 6% body fat. And then like doctors are like, no, you you are not 6% body fat. You would be like, you know, sick if you were 60, 6% body fat. That's just not the case. So I think like what people say is 6 to 8% body fat is actually 12 to 15 or like 12 to 14 or something like that. And uh, so I think 15 is great. I, we'll I was see. 26 last time we I did a DEXA scan. 26, 27, something like that. And my goal was... Actually, I don't even remember what it was. I think maybe my goal was to get under 25 and I was 28 or something like that. I was amazed at how high mine I do it was. every three months. That's good. I, I was amazed, amazed at how, how high mine was. It uh, Because like I don't feel like completely ripped, but I feel like fit. Like I don't have a stomach anymore. And I and it was still 15. I was shocked. We've by all that. seen the picture. If you go to my Twitter, we've all seen the picture. You're ripped. You're actually the perfect amount of ripped uh, because, you know, there's an obnoxious ripped where... If you look like, oh man, this guy's just, he's just, it's like a girl who's like, uh, got like hair yeah, extensions, eyelash hard. extensions, uh, nail extensions and like tons of makeup caked on. It's like, oh, they're sort of trying too hard. And it's like a high maintenance person that I don't really want. Like, I don't really want to go out to dinner with you because you're just going to order like broccoli and, and, you know, like raw chicken or whatever. So, you know, you're like the right amount where it's like, oh man, he might li live an active lifestyle. Like Maybe he surfs and like, maybe that's why uh, it doesn't look like someone who is like, you know, Jim bro who just lives in the gym four hours a day and everything centers around that in their life. Well, the point is, is that it just shocked me at 15%, but I just wanted to, to, to let you know that that happened. Uh, right. you want, let's talk about, all right. So we're going to talk about you're officially canceled as a fitness influencer. You can't be a fitness influencer. 15%. I know 12 is okay. Anything above 12. I, I got to get my shit together. Let's well, talk. You could, do, you could just do it as the start of your fitness journey. Is this this? Am I? I'm still a before. I feel now, like I, now you're a before. I feel like I've been a before picture for the past five years. I'm still a before. Fuck. Damn. No, we, we already said there's before before. I'm a before before, and then there's a before. You're a before now. No, I'm just kidding. You're you're more like an after. Uh, I'm now a before, but I was a before before. You just gotta know your system. You just gotta know the ranking system. It's not about body fat percentage. Um, all right, let's get into it. All right, so we're gonna. What's the what's the topic of what's the the title of this segment? The title of the segment is Sam and Sean cross one million downloads a month for the podcast. They get intoxicated by the growth. We're on pace for one point three right now, smashing old record highs of nine hundred thousand. And with this intoxicating growth, they say we're gonna whore out double down, and we're going to make a list. And so we're going to do list episodes. That's what's actually happening here. Now, what list did we decide to start with? Well, we didn't go ultra tantalizing, ultra drama filled list to begin with. We're going with our favorite Twitter follows. So I think we're going to have 12. like 12. Is it 12 total? So our 12 Twitter follows that we recommend. Now, these are going to be, I think in most cases, 
not the obvious people. So you're not going to, my goal is even, there's a lot of people that aren't even on Twitter. So if you're not on Twitter, maybe start or not, uh, you know, just subscribe to my five tweet Tuesday newsletter. If you're not doing that, if you're on Twitter, I bet at least half of these are going to be people you don't already follow. That's my guess. That's my goal if we do this right. So they should be kind of under the radar, rising stars. And we're going to talk about why we like these people's feeds and some stuff that we've seen from them. That's pretty cool. So we'll go back and forth. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform with an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Uh, let's start with uh, candidate number one. I, I, are we going in order of like no. the best? No. Okay, so mine are a little bit more popular than yours. So Okay, are um, you going to go? How many do you have? You have five? No, I only have three. Okay. Well, I was like researching. List well, no, here's the with, problem. I with was a re- bonus from Sam. I was researching. I was trying to find ones that people, the, the ones I love are people that everyone knows. But, and so I was okay, trying. Okay. Well, my, you might have to bring up a few. Or I think, I bet when I say some, you're going to think of some others right. just based off that. Okay. So we're just going to name 12 ish of them. And we're going to go back and forth. Let's trade off until Sam runs out. So uh, I'll go first because you're going to run out faster otherwise. Ugh. So. Okay, the first person on my list of Twitter Twitter people I think you should follow is Post Market. Do you follow Post Market? It's Post underscore Market. No. Do, I, by the way, you follow thousands of people. I follow, up until recently, I was following zero people. Literally zero. Now it's like 40. <laughs> just to be cool? I just, I was getting addicted. <laughs> okay, so I have a list and this person's on my list. So it's a Post Market is an anonymous account. And um, or like a pseudonymous account, I should say. So it's not like a this is not their real name or whatever. Post underscore market. And we're going to put the full list in the description of this podcast. So if you want to find them, uh, you could do that. Or maybe what we'll do is we create a, a Twitter list that you can just subscribe to. Uh, that that might be easier. So uh, who is this person? I don't know what they do by day, but there's something in the financial world. Stock, you know, a trader, hedge fund person. Uh, I don't know what it says exactly in their bio, but basically what they do is. They have like hot takes on the market Uh, and it's not like hot takes like CNBC where it's like, oh, you know, um, the Dow is up five points. It's like basically they'll take a stock and they'll just rip it to shreds if it doesn't make any sense. So like, for example, the like one of their um, one of their ones that they were killing right now is something called the called Grove Collaborative. I don't know if you saw this. It's like a, it was like a DTC brand. It was like one of the winning DTC brands. It was a unicorn. It goes public. And then uh, here's the tweet. It says, please make it stop. Here's a mostly DTC organic cleaning products business. It's doing 6% revenue growth at 2 billion valuation has no plan to make profits anytime soon. And a greater than 5% five uh, X sales multiple Grove Collaborative, not going to make it. Um, and then it basically pulls out things from their like investor presentation that show like a fairly so slow growth, low margin business that is overvalued. What does Grove and Collaborative make? I've never even heard of that. They're kind of like a subscription, almost like a Whole Foods, Costco type of model where you can go buy products uh, from them, I believe. And what mar- what valuation are they trying to get? I was not trying to get they're they're publicly traded at you know two two billion or whatever. Yikes! Okay, that's so this is a good find. Um, and so and so this person because they're pseudonymous, they can just kind of um, talk about whatever they want. They're not really they don't pull any punches, 
And so like, they'll go after, um, they'll go after like Chamath for, you know, most, most people are kind of afraid to like poke the bear in a way, but Chamath in reality had a bunch of really shitty SPACs where he made a bunch of money and people who invested in his SPACs on the whole, like just got ripped to shreds this year. And, um, and so this post-market account will like call out basically bad stocks, bad behavior, um, across the board in the stock market. So this I like awesome. that. Like, for example, um, our buddy Moyes tweeted something. He goes, honest company went public in 2021. Uh, it raised 400 million that day. The shares closed at a valuation of 2.7 billion. Since that day, it's lost 2 billion in value and is now worth less than 800 million. And then he says, public markets are brutal. Be careful if you IPO and post market replied and said, public markets are not brutal. Private markets are a facade. And it's like, oh, I, I like the, I like the, uh, yeah. the hot takes. I like the intelligence and I like, uh, that they don't pull punches. All right. I like this one. Yeah. I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to follow. Um, all right. I'm going to give you one. See, some of mine are popular, but I'm going to give you three examples of why I like them. Uh, okay. Ramit Sethi. Do you follow Ramit on Twitter? I don't follow. Actually, I do follow him on Twitter. Yeah. So there's After he came two, on the pod. I was following. There's two reasons why he's amazing. The first is when people criticize him, he'll sometimes say that's Fuck a good back. that's a good criticism. Other times he'll be like, no, you're an idiot for these following reasons. Right. And he also that's reason number one. So he's an entertaining follow. And reason number two is he tweets out loads of personal finance stuff and he'll find an article that's going viral. And if he disagrees with it, which oftentimes he does, he'll explain why it's bullshit. For example, uh, a lot of people, particularly people who aren't necessarily wealthy have financial advisors who charge 1% and he'll right. tweet out a whole thread about why that's total bullshit and you shouldn't pay 1% advisor. The second right. thing, everyone talks about buying a home and how it's a wonderful investment and he'll tweet out this awesome math saying, no, buying a home is not an investment. Buying a home is like buying a car or something like that where you should just use it and not do it for financial reasons because more often than not, it's not a, a good investment at all. Um, and finally, uh, he's got this really cool tweet on how to automate money. So I actually linked to it in that sheet, and I actually set up my my accounts based off that tweet. So what do you mean by how to automate money? What does that mean? So click, um, so click. I believe it was this one where it says, uh, how he okay. like like where the money goes. Like for example, where do do you have your bank account set up so like a percentage goes here, a percentage goes there, or no. like your um your paycheck? No, really. So where's your money go to? Well, I don't get a paycheck, but you're you get paid for the hubspot podcast you get paid for sure. your business so where's your income go to straight to a checking account <laughs> straight to a checking account and then your boy moves it into whatever investments i want to make really yeah i think you need to read some ruby sethi stuff because like it should the way it should work is like all your money should go or not you could do it however you want oh the way oftentimes i think it's easier is your money should go to a checking account and then it takes money out and like, let's say that you have a really simple setup, put this much in Wealthfront, put this much in a mutual fund, put this and much. What do you even use to do that? To, I don't even know that's a possibility that you automate the like clawing out of your checking into various other services. Yeah, you could do it with Coinbase if you wanted to. You could do an automatic thing for Coinbase. Oh, you go. OK, so what you do is you go in those services, you go into Wealthfront, you say, I'd like to do a autosaver plan and you just ACH connect. Yeah, exactly. And you just gotcha. set it up so it's all automated. So it's just like basically like, you know, based off of your monthly income, roughly that you want this much cash in your checking account at all times and it automatic right. and you kind of know roughly the intervals of when you're going to get cash and right, just right, right. funnel it into so, different okay. accounts. So, so the, one of the reasons I didn't do that was one of, uh, when I was getting the last thing I had, last job I had when I was at Twitch, one of the major sources of, of income was just stock RSUs that were going into Amazon stock like automatically. So that was already 
that was already there and I wasn't selling because my basis for when I when we got acquired was lower than the amount at the RSU grant and I didn't want to sell and rebalance because it was going to trigger taxes uh on the on those gains um as as the price kept Have you up. sold any of those shares? Uh have I sold Yeah, I sold a small amount, maybe 15%. Or Are you ever like going to sell any of them? I hope not. Uh, yeah, I'm on that beg, borrow, die shit now. So, uh, you know, that's the, that's the, that's that new game plan. It's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome until it's not awesome. It's probably, yeah. the, probably the right answer. Like yeah. most things. Okay. I'm just going to read these remit's money rules. All right. Have one year of emergency fund cash. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I don't, but yeah, you can, um, save 10, 10% and invest 20% of your gross income. You do that or you do higher, uh, much higher. Um, pay cash for large expenses, 20% down minimum on a house. Okay. Fair enough. Yes, I do that. Uh, never question spending money on books, appetizers, health, or donate to a friend's charity raiser. Agree completely. Business class for flights over four hours. Agree completely. Um, no limit for spending on health or education. Agree completely. Buy the best and keep it for as long as possible. I disagree with that. Really? I, I either buy the best or I buy extremely cheap disposable where I don't have any stress about it because I didn't invest hoping it was going to be the best. Like a razor? I, I, it's like a barbell. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, for Black Friday, there's this brand called 32 Degrees. Do you know them? No, they're what like is the it? Costco. They're like the Costco brand of Under Armour or like Nike. So they're, they're I'm like, going to uh, buy stuff from that now. Is it awesome? They make like, they make like athletic wear. And uh, it's actually like pretty good, but I don't think it lasts as long as Lululemon. It doesn't last it's as like long Gymshark. as... Like Gymshark. Yeah, like it's it's just not going to have that same durability, but I like their stuff. Uh, like I like it when I wear it and it fits well uh, on my, whatever it fits well for me. So, I, you know, for Black Friday, they have this insane deal where like everything goes down like 85 uh, percent. Oh they just God. like want to move all their inventory. So you'll go buy like whatever, like athletics, you know, like a hoodie or like a fitted, you know, long sleeve shirt or whatever. And it'll be like four ninety nine, And so I just load up. So I buy like almost a thousand dollars worth of 32 degrees stuff that day. You can just see on my floor here, there's just piled, the, the boxes came and there's piles come out. Like it's as if I'm a wholesaler for them. And so I'll buy like 15 of the pants I like. I'll buy like 25 of the shirt I like. And because of that, I don't worry about like A, losing anything, getting a stain on anything, something wearing out. It's like, no, nah, I, I bought Dude, this. so much laundry way. you have to do though. Got to clean it for the laundry, bro. Uh, all right. All right. You're good. <laughs> All right, the, your turn. I know it's bad for the, the the real argument is it's terrible for the environment and like, you know, fair enough, but uh you know, birds got to fly. So, here we go. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Barrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct to consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores, it's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing. If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Right, Here's uh, his last two, his last three rules. Earn enough to work only with the people I respect and like. I think that's a great rule. Uh, marry the right person. Okay, fair enough. Doesn't seem like a money rule, but I get it. Uh, prioritize time outside the spreadsheet. What does that mean? 
Um, so like when you're, I do, I have a problem with this all the time. I'm constant. I have a spreadsheet with all my net worth and my finances and I'm constantly optimizing it. And I'll like do different scenarios like, Oh, in five here, if in five years, if this happens, then we're going to be here. If it goes worst case scenario, we're going to be here. Therefore we should do this, this, and this. So I'm like constantly tinkering with it and doing, I'm like, Oh, 3%. Uh, if you only spend 3% of your net worth over this many years, but it grows by this, that means by the time we're 50, we're going to have this. Right. And okay, gotcha. that takes like, that's, that takes up so much time. It's so fun though. <laughs> I see. Uh, and also this wealth advisor thing. So we both have the same advisor, but he doesn't charge us any fee, right? Correct? No, we, he only gets paid if we buy uh, some of the funds that he's going to sell us. Right. Okay. Fair enough. It's pretty uh, sick, right? So, it's so a, I think that's kind of a hack. I think that's, that's a pretty good hack. I think it's a great deal. Um, okay, so let's do uh, let's do another person. Okay, so you got we have post market, we have remit. Uh, I'm gonna do another one. Let me do. Okay, I'm gonna give you a, a double a double dose because they're kind of the same same type of account. So um, my buddy George Mack, and then um, there's this account called Marketing Examples. Do you follow these? No. What is this one? Marketing so, examples. So marketing examples. This guy. I would say is one of the best content creators um, on the internet. What's the handle? I think it's just marketing examples. Is it good? Is yeah, it Harry's marketing example? So, so there's this guy, Harry Dry. Harry Dry. He works with us sometimes. I think we, 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 I discovered him a long time ago and we tried hiring him and uh, it didn't work out, but we're, we love him. Yeah, I uh, I really, really respect. I don't know this person. I don't, I don't know him well. I've DM'd him just kind of showing respect. Uh, I don't think most people know him. He's not like widely. He's young. Respected I, you know, you know, there's like the circle jerk of like, we all kind of like the same things in the, yeah. same, in the same circles. I think he's like so, 18 or 19. Yeah, I think he's probably a little older than that. But if he, whatever he is, he's amazing. His content is so good. I, um, I, I think most people, when I see their content, I'm sort of cocky where I'm like, I could do better. If I like, if I wanted to, I could do better. I see his shit and I say, oh, I should be copying things he's doing. So that's like a very, very high compliment in my book uh, where I want to copy your shit because I think you're doing such a good job. So um, so I think he's his account's really great. And um, and then George George Mack is similar in that George Mack basically tweets out kind of like cool marketing hacks, mental models, um, just interesting stories. And uh, and so George is really, really good as well. And he's also kind of like outside the scene. Meaning like he wasn't, uh, he's not a Silicon Valley person. He's not a founder or VC that like is super well connected in this area, but I think has uh, earned a lot of people's Twitter respect. You know, he's probably got, I don't know what, like 70,000 followers, maybe a hundred thousand. I, I don't know what it is. Um, so George is really good also. So they're, they're the ones I would say to follow if you want examples of what good content marketing is, as well as kind of like uh, marketing slash psychology hacks is what I would call them. Yeah, this guy, Harry Dry, has some of the best stuff. He's like, she just basically takes landing pages and he goes, this is why this is good. And he just very simply... Have you seen his his Kanye West thing? What did he do? I remember uh, something so, like that. So Ben, pull this up. Go to go to thekanyeweststory.com. I think that's what it's called. So basically, this is like a blog post that he just like tricked out. It's like Exhibit knocked on the door and was there to pimp his blog. And uh, maybe I got the domain wrong. Maybe it's not. The it's con- the so, Kanye story.com. Yeah. The Kanye story.com. And uh, it's basically this epic website blog post. That's just like a scrolling story about the day he got in touch with Kanye West and how it all went down. And so it's like, it starts with, it starts with this like epic photo of Kanye that you scroll and it's like a slide. It's like from lying in bed 
with, with zero ideas to negotiating with the biggest superstar on planet Earth. And then it's got this little like outline on the left. It's like the idea going viral, coding it, launching it, reborn, billboards, Yeezy. And then it says that those are the chapters of this story. And he just tells a great, a very simple, you know, hustler story. But I just love this like domain, the way he designed this blog. Again, this guy's an artist and I'm like, I really respect him. And when I come up with shit, I think I like use him as one of my mood boards of inspiration of like something that I'll, I'll copy or I'll, I'll steal uh, inspiration from at the, at the least. This kid's amazing. Yeah. He's bo- he's 25 years old. I was way off. I think when we, I want to first- do something with, I want to like launch something with this guy. I don't know. I, 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 my new thing is like, I find people who are just awesome and I find an excuse to collab with them. And I would put both George and Harry in that bucket. All right, your turn. Um, all right, we're going to go with uh, the pessimistic. What's this called? The pessimist. What's the full one? The pessimist archive. That's what it's called. Uh, the handle is like just pessimistic. Hmm. Pessimistic arc. Uh, so basically what it is, is it's incredibly fascinating because it's a Twitter handle that looks back at history and brings oh, up topics great. that people complain about today. So, for example, there's a... Um, a tweet from November 16th, 1918, or uh, a news article. And it says, I would rather spend the rest of my life in jail than wear one. And it's talking about a guy who doesn't want to wear a flu mask. And then there's another example wow. of, of someone saying like, uh, oh, here's a quote from Martin Luther King saying like, you know, there's too many books out there. People are trying to write too much and become famous. And it's basically he's talking about like influencers. Uh, and it's kind of funny. And then Dude, there, this is great. There will be another one where it's like technology is just going to kill our brains, and they're like referring to like a telephone. And so it's <laughs> yeah. and it's real. And so if you read just the tweet part, you would think that they're talking about now, but then they show you a different year, and then they show you a, a picture of the article, and it's from from a newspaper from the 1800s. And so it's kind of cool because people complain about the same shit all the time, and so you'll think like. Oh, our country's more divided by divided than ever, or like the wealth gap is like crazy, or right, same uh, problem. It's like same narratives. That it's like yeah, all those things could be true, but like uh, oftentimes people think it's worse than ever before, and maybe that's not the case because people have been complaining about the same shit forever. Like okay, there's one with school shooters, and it's like um, these you know these guys were addicted to books and they were reading these these gory books, and that's why they shot up their like their local town. Instead of video games, they're blaming like this, uh, the novel, the dime novels, whatever those are. And it really, and my takeaway here is two, two things. The first thing is that we react this, oftentimes human beings react the same through for, for centuries. And if you study why people react the way they do, you can begin to predict, to predict this. And so if I can, if I figure out in history, what have been some of the common reactions to action X, Y, and Z? I can kind of look into the future and or at the present time being like, okay, I think people are going to react by doing blank, blank, any blank, because that's just how we're wired. Um, The second thing that it does is it like brings you to like senses a little bit where you're like, okay, I need to be calm. People have complained about this literally for 150 years and we're doing okay. And uh, so that's interesting. And I was reading this book, Human Nature by Robert Greene. Ben, I don't know if you read this or not. Maybe you could tell me, but I'm almost positive. Somewhere in this book I, that they said that one of the very first bits of written lang- language that they found was of people complaining about the younger generation and how they aren't going to keep the cultures that the old or keep the traditions that the older generation has created. You know what I mean? So this idea of like old people complaining about young people being lazy, like right. one of the very first ev- pieces of evidence of, of, of written language. It was a story of complaining about that. 
So anyway, yeah. I like seeing those patterns. So that's mine. Yeah, that's uh, you know, what's what's the phrase? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yes, and uh, that's that's like what this account is. You know, in a nutshell, there's some really great ones on this. I have a similar stash uh, in my swipe file that I've been keeping for for years. I, I kind of forgot to update it recently, but it was called "Smart People Saying Dumb Things," and that's I would a good store any time somebody who is clearly smart and successful said something that was very wrong. So, for example. You know, Warren Buffett uh, was very, very dismissive of like, you know, certain technologies, but, you know, Bitcoin today. But before that, you know, Internet and technology stocks um, that he just didn't understand that he didn't understand them. And so therefore made some disparaging comments or um, like Ray Dalio you know, predicting like a crisis in the 80s. Yeah. Or, um, you know, Steve Ballmer laughing and saying, you know, and he's cackling and saying nobody will ever buy a thousand dollar phone. Like they just don't get it. Apple, you know, Apple will fail or whatever. So I did that partly because there's like a in the moment, there's like a junk food fun of it, which is like, ha, yes, wrong. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a joy when when somebody successful is, is pointed out to be very wrong about something. But there's more than that. The real reason I did it was to remind myself that, like, it's very easy to kind of go into hero worship mode and to idolize certain people or put them on a pedestal and just because you're smart in one thing doesn't mean you're smart in another, or just because you're right a lot doesn't mean you're right all the time. It's a very important lesson because I've made big mistakes. Like for example, I think I've missed out. Uh, I bought Tesla stock very early on. I think I bought it a, under a hundred dollars a share. And I think if you, uh, if you adjust for the splits, I think it's now over like $5,000 a share. So I think I've, I would have made about $5 million on a stock buy that I had. Uh, really? If I just held and, um, and the reason I didn't oh. hold wasn't because I wanted to take profits. It was because I got spooked by first. There was like a lot of people at a given time that were called Tesla Q. Do you know about that? Uh, was that the thing where they said that like the it's fake, like the factories yeah, are fake? But it's not that the factories are fake, but that there's sort of like fraud deception that the fundamentals don't make sense and that Tesla's going to go to zero. Was Tesla it will Josh be Wolf, the guy like spreading those. Yes, exactly. So Josh. So the, there was mostly anonymous accounts on Twitter and Reddit. And so I'd read it and I was like, okay, I'd, I always want to learn what is the other side. I was so bullish on Tesla. Did this, at this point, Tesla wasn't even anywhere near where it is today, right? Um, and so it was like, okay, you know, Tesla's gone from $90 a share where I bought it to $380 a share. Great. But like, you know, I still think it's got a lot of room to run. And, and I was reading, I, I always want to know what is the, what do people who disagree with me say and what's their argument? Do I, do I believe it? And so I read it and I was like, oh, there is some weird stuff. Like, wow, they've gone through 25 CFOs. Like, that sounds strange. Like, why does the CFO keep leaving? And like the people would have this like drone footage of like parking lots just full of Teslas that they're taking. Like, why are they stashing Teslas in these parking garages? Look at this. Every car in this six door car garage is a Tesla. Why is it here? Why are they? Are they faking deliveries and sales? Like, what, what is this? So there was a lot of like, if Wait, there's so smoke, there's fire. Was there any truth in any of this? Honestly, oh, here's my honest take. I actually think that there was a lot of truth to what, what was going on. I think that, and the reason why I say this is, I don't think it's as bad as they said, but I also don't think it's as good as Tesla portrayed it. Meaning, I think there actually was a period of time where Tesla almost died, where it actually almost did go bankrupt because um, of like this, the combination of the production ramp up was going too slow. They had the, the production line was not moving fast enough. Uh, the subsidies were there, but they could have gone away and like all this stuff. And I think there was like a lot of um, kind of like, you know, fake it till you make it going on there. And Elon has even come out and said in the past, he goes, he was talking about 
when um, when clean tech was big and the government was giving money to this I think it was called Solyndra or something like that. And he came out and he said the same thing happened with Enron, where it was like five weeks before it went under. They were like not just saying everything's going to be OK. They were saying everything's better than ever. And he and Elon came out and was sort of like, what do you want people to say? He's like, you know, it is in the incentive of somebody, of the captain of that ship to go down with the ship and the whole time be saying, oh, we're so close to our destination. Basically, he was like, they're never going to come out and say, yeah, we don't know. We might not make it because then that will guarantee you don't make it because people will sell the stock. It'll put so much negative pressure on the company. It'll hurt the morale inside the company. And so you can't ever come out and say, I don't know, we might not make it. So you always have to say, make it. Of course, we're going to make it. We're thriving. And like, you just hope it actually comes true. He said something to that effect in an interview once I read. And I was like, I feel like he's describing what actually was going on inside Tesla. That's amazing. And so anyways, the long story. story short was I didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. I was sort of like reading it, but I didn't pull the trigger. And then Josh Wolf, this guy's a very, very smart guy, successful VC, not an anonymous Twitter egg account. Who's like just shorting the stock and trying to like spread fear. Um, he was really shitting on it consistently for the course of a year. And at some point I was like, you know, what will I regret more selling the stock now and taking my profit if I'm wrong or seeing all these signals and not like going with what seems to be a mounting amount of evidence? How much did you buy? And guess what? I was wrong. Tesla becomes Elon becomes the richest man in the world. Tesla becomes a six hundred billion dollar company. I bought it at a six billion dollar valuation or something crazy like that. And so, you know, I missed out on a 50 to 100 X, uh, you know, somewhere along the way. And, uh, and so I, yeah, I do regret, I actually it turned out to be wrong. I did, I would have regretted more this scenario happening, but it seemed improbable. Wait, so you bought a hundred grand worth of Tesla stock. I didn't buy a hundred grand. I think I bought like, I don't know. I don't even know what it was. It wasn't a hundred. I don't think that's, that's not what I was buying back then. Cause this was like, I, I was like 23 years old or something at the time. It, it, it was a long time ago. And basically I think I had bought like 30 or 40 grand of the stock at a certain price. And I, rem cause I remember doing the math and thinking, okay, they're valued at like five or 6 billion. Now what is Ford and GM valued at? Okay. They're valued at 25 billion. Okay. On one hand, that seems crazy that they're only five times less when they deliver like 200 times less cars. But I was like, I really think like the cars are going to go electric, that these old fucks are never going to switch. And he's got this like vertically integrated. It's like actually a battery and energy company. It's not even a car company. And this was before self-driving. So, so it was a good pick. I mean, yeah, but you know, you, if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. So egg on my face. And by the way, on this note of the, the pessimist archive, I saw this YouTube video that was, um, I don't know if you heard about this a few years ago, Elon Musk negotiated a very unique compensation package. Do you know about this? Uh, yeah, basically he gets some crazy bonuses. If some crazy goals happened. Yeah. So he had, he had set up this thing where he gets absolutely his entire compensation was tied to the um, the market cap of Tesla. And like it was at 50 billion, I think, at the time when he had done it. And um, it was like every 50 billion dollars increments, he was going to get more. And so it was like, at a, if I get us to 100 billion, then I get X. I get I think he would get uh, like one percent or two percent more of the company each time. I, 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 I should have. I didn't know we we're going to talk about this. I could have mapped it out, but basically he was going to get a percentage more of the company for every 50 billion. They go up in market cap as they also have to hit certain um, like revenue and earnings uh, at that time. And he had no guaranteed income. So basically if Tesla just went from 50 to 99 billion, he would get zero oh during God. that time. 
and he had five years to do it. And the top of the compensation plan was if they became a $600 billion company, then he was going to become like, he was going to get this, like he would own like 10% of it or whatever. He would own some ridiculous amount that would get unlocked for him. And he would be essentially the richest man in the world. And there's all these, there's this clip of, uh, what's his name? Andrew Sorkin or whatever his name is. The guy on CNBC, Fast Money or whatever. Um, of them, to, they're outlining the plan and they're laughing. They're just laughing at him. They're like, I don't even know why they included these tiers. Like for Tesla to get that would be, I mean, there's no way. And they're all laughing. They're like, there's no chance. And they're like, this is such a weird thing. Why did he do this? And they're like basically laughing at him and saying how outrageous the top end of it was, where it just made no sense. It's like, well, to do that, Tesla would need to become like the fifth most valuable company in the world or third most valuable company in the world. And they're like, that's ridiculous. But I guess, you know, aim high, I guess. Ha 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 ha. No guaranteed compensation of any time, of any kind at all. He gets no salary, cash bonus, equity. Uh, he only gets equity that, that vests over time, but only if he reaches uh, these hurdle rates, which are, dare I say, crazy. So right now the company's worth $59 billion. Mm -hmm. They run at $50 billion increments. So if he gets the company to $100 billion... Wait, you're just talking market capitalization, not Mark based on revenue, not so there, based so on there, the number be, of there's gonna be, production. There's going to be two metrics at each step. So the first step is he has to get the company to $100 billion and reach these operational and adjusted EBITDA and revenue number. If he doesn't get either of them, he gets nothing. That's kind if of a he, weird way to he, break it down based on market if capitalization. If he gets to $150 and has to hit the operational numbers. But, I mean, the market can be irrational. At so each 50, can't control that. At each $50 billion number, he collects 1% of the company. If somehow, magically, he would get the company to $650 billion, which is literally what the plan calls for, if you can believe this, uh, he would collect the equivalent of about $55 what if billion gets, dollars in compensation. Otherwise, he gets absolutely okay, nothing. Okay, what if you get it to $650 Zero. billion dollars and then it immediately... And then sure enough, he, he's like, I think he just hit it or he's about to hit that that last final thing. And sure enough, he's the richest man in the world now. That's badass. I Bet wanna, on yourself. I, I need to go back. Well, if you're him. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to tell you a, a handle that would have helped you. So you know who Ryan Holiday is, definitely, right? Yes. Uh, Ryan Holiday is an author just kind of like a personality, but mostly an author, and he does stoicism stuff. And I included him, but I'm going to actually tell you the one you should follow. So I like Ryan Holiday because he's got these things that are not business-related, but help me in business and help me in life. And so he's got five lessons from Seneca. Seneca was a the Greek. I actually don't know what he was. Uh, he was a philosopher. Uh, and so, so they are, we suffer, what was he? I think he was Greek. I, I didn't look it up. He was like, Roman, Ben. Thank you. Uh, we suffer more in imagination, or five stoic lessons from Seneca. We suffer more in imagination than in reality. Associate only with people who improve you. The greatest remedy for anger, this is the best one. The greatest remedy for anger is delay. Nice. Value your time more than your possessions. And death is not in the distant future. We are dying every day. And he's got these amazing things that I That's love. Badass. But he's got this other Twitter handle called The Daily Stoic. I love the Daily Stoic. And they just like tweet out all these like interesting stoicism tidbits. That's his, right? It's his brand? It's his. And it's incredibly useful. This stuff is like, it's one of the, stoicism's one of the few philosophies that's like actively, um, it's practical and you could use on a daily basis. And so I like following this account. It reminds me to do certain things. So, okay, so, so correct me if I'm wrong. So uh, I had heard about stoicism from Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss, a bunch of others. So I go, I buy Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I sit down, I start to read it. And I'm, I'm sort of just trying to understand what the heck is this philosophy? 
And there were some things I thought were really cool, like the tweet, like that tweet you just read out, those five principles, like that resonates with me. But there was like a part of it which was sort of like feel neither the highs nor the lows. It seemed almost like a philosophy, and I think I'm wrong, so I want you to correct me. Uh, it seemed like a philosophy which was sort of like feel nothing. Yeah, and I think that you're and almost feel nothing right. doesn't seem very fun. Why do we? Why do I want to feel nothing? So, so that's my that. big. That's my actually a really good criticism, in my opinion, of stoicism, and it's my criticism of stoicism, which is a lack of joy. And a lot of stoics, this is me a steel arm, steel manning, by the way, a lot of stoics will say, um, no, like there's joy. Like if you read it differently, there's room for joy or they never say you can't have joy and they're not wrong. But oftentimes it's how to deal with pain and misery. And the idea is basically you accept the fact that you're going to come into contact with a bunch of idiots all day who are going to want to hurt you and steal from you. But that's okay. You you do like a negative visualization, right? You like imagine things going wrong, which again, just feels very not so fun for me and not the way I have not, not that's not a formula that's worked for me. In fact, the exact opposite has worked for me. That formula has worked for me actually. So what I do is like, all right, today I've got cancer. I can't get out of bed because Jeez. I'm like, harsh. you do this every day. I do it a lot. Or I'll be like, look, like, like if I'm feeling sad, I'll be like my, I just got my leg cut off. Like I can't walk. I oh wish I could have run sports. And then I'll be like, wait a minute. I have both legs. I don't feel sick. Let's go celebrate and exercise. Or you know what I mean? Or like, you know, I'm happy my dog is not dead and I'll go and it makes me appreciate him. Yeah. It's called negative visualization. I think it's incredibly useful. There's a, there's, this is, this is to me, so I I will disagree with this. There's a, this to me is the argument of, well, there's kids starving in Africa. Like in any given moment, you could just sort of remember, oh, there's kids starving in Africa. There's kids starving in Africa. I, my boyfriend broke up with me. Well, at least I'm not a kid starving in Africa. And, um, and I, I get the utility of it. I've used it myself, but in my experience, I've learned that it's a bit of a roundabout way to a destination of gratitude. And like, you don't have to go to feeling the stress and the pain and the suffering of bad in order to feel the gratefulness around the good. And so I found it, I guess my personal experience has been, I think it's a roundabout way to gratitude and like, I might as well just go straight to gratitude. Don't need to, uh, don't need to think about all the bad things but think and, about, and like, worry about all the bad things that could happen and go there. It's, it's, it's not been useful for me. I remember like when I get a sore throat, I always feel this way. And when I get like a toothache, I'm like, I wish I could go back to the days where my tooth didn't hurt. Like if you had like a toothache is like the most pain you could be in or sometimes. And I'm like, I like, I, <laughs> you're like, I, I don't remember. Like sometimes it might, if all I all the women who have given birth are like, what, is, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Well, yeah. But like a, a toothache is the worst pain you could feel. <laughs> or like, I, like in my, like whenever I get earaches and toothaches, I'm like, you know, it's like, it's like this internal pain. It's like, I can't make the pain stop. And I just have to deal with it until I have an appointment in three days. Yeah. And then you get like two days in and you're like, I don't remember what it felt it's like horrible. to not yeah. feel this pain. And so I got into the habit. I'd be like, I would be so thankful if I could, if my throat didn't hurt today and I could just swallow food. That would make me so happy. And days when I don't, am not sick, I try to think back. I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to feel happy that I'm not sick today. And so I, I think about that stuff all the time. So anyway, Ryan Holiday and the Daily Stoic is a good follow. You're up. All right. Um, by the way, I know we didn't do stoicism justice for people who are like diehards. Sorry. Uh, people should look at, I don't think it is no emotions. I think it's like more subtle than that, but, well, but that's a really good, I think your criticism's great, which is like, yeah, I think it, it's it, what a lot of people run into a lack of get excited and then they're like, wait, but wait, is this what I want? Yeah. Okay, it's like, gonna, where's the room for fart jokes? You know what right. I mean? <laughs> I'm going to give you two niche experts. They're in different niches, but I like them. Okay. So, uh, I should link their accounts here for you to, 
this first guy, I don't know exactly how you say his name. His name is Aviral Botnagar, uh, and I'm going to link you his Twitter. It's Aviral Bot, and uh, I'm going to put it. Uh, what do I put? It? I put it I on the it. sheet that we have. Okay, you got it. So this guy, Aviral Botnagar, he is a venture capitalist in India, and his blog is a juniorvc.com. This guy puts out really, really high signal stuff around what's going on in India. Um, like for example, he has a tweet that he put out yesterday, or, or that, that was. India now exports more software, 133 billion, than Saudi Arabia exports oil, 113 billion. We are the uh, India is the largest engineering population in the in the world. Uh, what an amazing story that's come come out over the last 40 years. How'd you find this uh, guy? This is the be- This one's the best one. In the, this is the most helpful one on the list. Yeah, and so like I I do a lot of investing in Indian startups, and I was like, okay, if I'm going to invest in new startups, I'm not on the ground. I'm not the like local domain expert. So what did I do? I invested in a fund. I became an investor in somebody else's fund that's India focused. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to get insights from him and I can bounce any deal off him to see if he wants to participate. And maybe he has a local view that I don't understand. And then this was another guy that I thought was really smart. So I wanted to find who I wanted to basically see who's the thought leader in that space. And then how do I subscribe to them? And so his, um, you know, his like blog, I think has 50,000 subscribers now. So he's not like, you know, no name. Uh, but he's very niche and he talks about kind of like the Indian tech scene and what's going on, you know, at a macro level or whatever. So I found this guy to be, I think he's doing a really good job of content creation. So I'm going to pick this guy is there, in one niche. Is there such a thing as this for China? Uh, I'm sure there is actually, this, this is a good idea. I should just um, like find this person for like LATAM for Europe, you know, for different parts of Europe and for, for India, for China and for Australia, maybe um, so and if there this- is none be this guy this guy this is a valuable position to become super valuable there's this guy named bill bishop i think his name is bill bishop had a newsletter uh called steinism i think it's called you know what i'm talking about no um sino sinocism i don't know what that means uh sinocism um s-i-n-o-c-i-s-m for a long time he was the most popular guy on substack and his entire newsletter is it's called Get Smarter About China. And he just tells you about the business of China. And you can see That's all like great. the latest trends coming out of China. It would be this really is a great arbitrage to do, by the way. If you, uh, instead of trying to compete in the same pond as everybody else, like go provide a really useful bridge into one specific market or one specific uh, geography. Um, like uh, I, I, I've told the story before, I think, but like one of the most influential people in my life was this teacher named Lisa Keister at Duke University. And she taught this class called Getting Rich. And her story was she graduated. That was the from name Duke. of the class. It was the name of the class. Yeah. Did it, everyone it, take that? It was the it was one of the hardest classes to get into because it was a great name, great title, right? So you already know this person's not just like every other professor. Like she understands like her customer, <sighs> her market. The second thing was it was she was the highest rated professor on like ratemyprofessor.com. She and the greatest thing ever. she had a chili pepper number next to her name. So she was like hot too. It was like Oh, it was everything. So I I wake up at five in the morning. We go to the library to get on the highest speed internet connection. And as soon as the course listings open up, we like jumped on it and we got into this class and I go in and she was, she tells her story. She goes, actually, I was a student at Duke 10 years ago or 11 years ago, whatever it was. She goes, I graduated with a degree in Mandarin because that's just what was interesting to me. And at the time, everybody was making fun of me. Actually, she was older than this now, but she had started teaching back when she was like 32 or something. Now she might be 42 or 52 or something like that. But she goes, I graduated with this degree. All my like, friends were like, good luck with that. You know, how's that Mandarin degree going to help you out and get a job here? Because 
I'm going to, I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a consultant. Like, what are you going to do with that Chinese degree? And she's like, well, I bet I can get a job in China. And they're like, what? And so she bought a one-way ticket, just goes to China and she just starts waving her hand. She's like, Hey, people in China, like I know English. I know companies in the West. Um, and I would love to learn about you and then be a bridge. And she became a bridge basically between companies in China and companies in America. If an American company wanted to do business in China, they would do it through her. Cause she like could translate the, not just literally the language, but like she knew who to talk to. She became like the local expert there. She be, and this, like to me, this guy on Twitter, he's my bridge into knowing what's going on in the scene in India. And so she, what her story was, she made a killing doing that because it was really valuable. Companies in China really wanted to do business with the companies in the West. Then she invested all of it in the tech and the tech stock market. Cause she was like, Oh, I can tell tech companies are the ones that are doing well. So she, and then right before the bubble burst, she pulled it all out to be like, Oh, I want to do real estate now. And she like, just timed it perfectly accidentally invested all in real estate from 2000, 2008, right before the real estate crash happened. She took it out again because she just wanted to do something else with her life. And basically by 32 was retired and like, you know, uh, was like, what do I want to do? I want to go teach and teach kids what I wish I knew back then. How wealthy and was I, she got? Uh, I think she made like, you know, a few million dollars at least. And like, you know, probably like five, seven million dollars. And like, um, you know, she she lives in in Durham and she teaches at school. I mean, I have no idea. How so much what was the made. class? I, about? Totally, I'm totally guessing. So the class was basically it was, you know, like Ramit said, it was like personal finance, which is like she's like, you probably need. She wanted to teach what she wished she learned when she was in school. Wow. So she's like, I wish they taught you about how to manage money. So she would show us like the power of compound interest over time, like why you should save early and versus saving more money when you're 30 versus saving even a little bit of money when you're 20. And then like, what is a mortgage? And like, how does that work? And like, then, the, so, and then every other class, she would just invite in someone who made it like someone who's successful financially, but doing a completely different thing just to expose you to like, look, there's like 50 paths. Dude, this is so it's one, like this podcast, pretty much. Yeah. One would be this girl who started a t-shirt company licensing university logos. And she would tell her story. Then she she got Jamie Diamond on the phone. And like Jamie Diamond is like, you know, the head of whatever Morgan, know, Stanley, Morgan or Stanley or whatever. Uh and like th then she had this hedge fund guy from San Francisco come out and he's like, Yeah, I here's what I he's like, he surveyed the room. He goes, Do you guys use uh Microsoft or Apple products? And they and people were answering, he goes. Uh, he asked like three questions and we were like, why did you ask that? He goes, because then I'm only going to make one decision this year and it's whether to invest like hundreds of millions of dollars into Apple or not. And, um, and he's like, so all I'm doing is I'm just trying to figure out what is the right decision on that? <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's a job. That's a, that's epic. And he, he had said in his, when he was in the class, he goes, by the way, uh, all you guys are going to just have the same resume. He goes, you're all trying to do the same thing. You're all trying to get grades. And then like these internships, he's like, so the first three fourths of your resume, think about it. It's going to look the same as everybody else in this room. Like, I'm not really going to be able to tell the difference. He goes, the only thing that's going to differentiate any of you is that bottom section where it's called other, like other interests. He's like, so at this school, everybody's going to teach you to like work on that top three fourths of the resume. In reality, you should be working on the bottom, the bottom Dude. one fourth of that resume, because that's what guys like me look at. Everybody's got a degree. Everybody's got good grades. Everybody went to a good school. I've never. And wait, what? have I told you about the bottom fourth of the resume? No. What is that? That's so funny that you, you even use that fraction. I always tell my when, when I own the company, I would say I just care about the bottom fourth. I'd always say just tell just wow. And I would always say that. And I'd be like, one of the greatest people would ask me, how do you find good writers? I was like, well, here's one really easy way. Ask them about the bottom fourth. And they go, what do you mean? I was like, well, just it doesn't matter what they studied in school. 
ask them. Um, okay, so you majored in philosophy. What's your favorite uh, philosophy class or favorite philosophy teacher? And if they can't tell me a story about something that they spent four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars on, then they're just not going to be a good writer because they're not interesting enough. Right. And so I would always ask about the bottom fourth of the resume for all types of roles. Cause I'm like, if you're just, if you can't entertain me for this conversation and then you just don't have any passion and I don't want to be around you. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. So maybe this becomes one of the, the core frameworks. That's a, that, you know, one, one person saying it, that's just a dot. Two people saying it, that's a line. I interviewed, uh, uh, it, I got that from uh, Gold, Brian Goldberg, who founded uh, Bustle. And he has this amazing article. And he says, it's headlined, losers exist, stay away from them. And it's basically like how to only <laughs> hire winners. It's from Pando from years and years ago. And he's a brilliant writer, but he doesn't write anymore because he's kind of a loose cannon. But it was titled, losers exist, how to avoid them. And it talks about... Uh, one of the best ways to ask about the bottom fourth. And if you're a, you're a loser, if you can't like be passionate about something that you spent four years studying. Uh, no, dude, this article is gone. It's, it's, it's it, pan, you know, like Pando died. Let me see if there's a cash version. Th- there is a cash version. Uh, okay. We we're, we're back in luck. The headline um, is losers exist. Don't hire them. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Let's do, uh, let's do a couple more. I'm going to give a couple quick ones. Uh, okay. This other person who I think is a niche expert is this guy, Willie Wu. Do you follow him? No, I'm looking him up now. I'm following all these people. The, the Indian guy is the best one so far, but let's look at Willie Wu. Yeah. I don't think you'll like this one because it's very crypto specific, but this guy, Willie Wu is, I think the leading crypto analyst. And, um, you know, in most things like these people who analyze charts and stuff like that, they're like, it's a little bit like horoscopy. They're like, ah, oh, look, the trend is going this way. And like, if you draw this T shape, it's going to be the iron cross pattern. And like, you know, so bye, bye, bye. And um, in crypto, there's one unique thing, which is that all the data is there's a lot more transparency. All the, you know, everything that's happening is happening on a chain, on a public blockchain. So you can actually go analyze it. So like he looks at all these metrics that are like, um, you know, it's, he won't just look at the price. For example, there's things like what is the actual average buy-in price? Because it's one thing for the price to go up or for people to like not be selling because they bought it in 2013 and they, you know, their cost basis was like $5 and your cost basis now is $50,000. So it looks at like what the actual price people are buying in, what is the average price people bought in for? And that tells you like, if it's low versus the actual price, you're like, okay, um, you know, it's mostly, you know, it's mostly just like same coins and old hands versus if it's higher, you, re- you realize that people are buying in at the current price levels and that's pulling the average up. Um, and so there's, th- there's a whole bunch of things like that, like um, coin, age like um are old coins moving meaning like if og believers start selling that's kind of a signal like it's like when a ceo starts selling their stock it's like wait why are you selling your stock that doesn't seem quite right um what's the reason and so like when a bunch of old hands start selling that's actually a signal that comes before the price changes it may may not even affect the price yet but it's an indicator of something to come damn all Um, right i just follow them so this guy's got all kinds of analysis and he's a lot more reasonable. So crypto is full of, especially crypto Twitter is full of like just propaganda artists and they're good at it. They're like, they will make you believe that some random fucking NFT is the hottest shit because it's like one guy controlling 55 bot accounts and they're all replying to every tweet that uses the word, you know, art with like a link to their freaking project. So there's so much propaganda. There's so much noise and there's so many like just believers who, if you say, if I, if I, if I just go out there to say, and I say my price prediction for 2022 is six six million dollars a coin? Um, I'll get a bunch of attention because people want to believe that like ah, the number is going to keep going up, 
And so this guy is a lot more reasonable. Like he's still obviously a big believer. He's super bullish on Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency in general, but he grounds it at least in like real analysis. And I find that to be quite valuable. All right. I follow them. I think that's cool. Is he, what, what, what is, does he like actually make predictions? Yeah, he'll make predictions, but it's not, he's not like, he doesn't get just like intoxicated with just prediction after prediction. It's more like, let me explain the way things are moving. And then when a move happens, he'll explain what actually happened. Who actually, was it a big one whale dumping? Was it a lot of old hands selling? What's causing this bear market? And he'll say, look, there was actually a lot of leverage in China and those got liquidated and that's what drove the price down. And like, you can get an explanation for like what otherwise feels like pretty arbitrary price movements. Damn, that's badass. All right, let me give you one. Um, yeah, Rohin Dwar. I actually don't know how to spell Rohin's last name or say Rohin's last name. It's D H A R. So this guy uh, founded this company called Priceonomics. Do you remember Priceonomics? Yes, I've followed this guy. This guy's good. Okay, so he's interesting. Priceonomics was interesting. We actually recruited a bunch of people from there, and I love that company. I don't know if it's really around anymore, but it's just a blog. But his new, like, started as a side hustle. Now it's kind of like a full-time thing. And I actually showed you two examples. Even Suli is commenting on it. And this guy, he owns, I think, 12 or 10 or 8. Somewhere in that 8 to 12 range. He owns 8 single-family homes uh, in New Mexico, in California, Hawaii, wherever. Um, and you can go and look and he'll kind of show you where they are and I'll show pictures of them and he rents them out on Airbnb. And sometimes when his kids are on vacation or not school, he'll go and stay in his homes and he reveals all of the numbers and all of the updates. So on December 6th, he tweeted, these are my monthly mortgage payments on each of the homes in my small, uh, portfolio vacation rentals. Uh, another wow. one is he'll say like, you know, currently we're seeing this type of occupancy rate and we actually just added a surfboard to our house in Hawaii and we noticed that we could get more money for it or something like that. Right. And he takes screenshots and he shows all of the revenue that he's making as well as how much money things have cost uh, cost him to buy. And he'll even do things like recently he posted a couple listings. He's like, I think I could turn this into an Airbnb. And he'll just like link to the Redfin house listing. And he's like, I think I can get these numbers. So it's actually really cool to see him in real time make it all happen. Yeah, I like this. This is awesome. Uh, I didn't realize that he was doing this. This is it's kind of new. Uh, he's or been I, at I it for a while. Been. He's been at it for now. His new shtick. He's been is doing like, it for six years, but I don't think he was. I don't think he was as public about it. Before. He wasn't as public about it. He was not as public about it. But now he's like all in on it, and it's so fun. Uh, it's a really fun handle to follow because sometimes his properties are like a quarter of a million and he puts down 20%. So he puts down or sometimes even less, I think. So he'll put down like forty or $50,000 on these properties. And that's pretty attainable for a lot of people. And so it's kind of interesting. Right. Um, okay. I have a, okay. Let's do a couple funny ones. Um, okay. Have you heard of this account? James Friedman. It's F Jamie zero one three. Was it on this list? No. So what is it? James Friedman. F James Friedman, or I don't know, maybe it's Friedman, but it's F R I D F R I D M A N. Uh, no. Who, who, what, okay. So, this? uh, so he is, uh, he's got 2 million followers. So he's definitely popular. He's the Photoshop guy. So basically people will Photoshop like, uh, Hey James, my boyfriend's wearing this Calvin Klein photo, the same Calvin Klein t-shirt in every, um, in every photo that we, t I take with him. Can you just remove the, the logo of Calvin Klein? And then like he, do he does the request, but he doesn't, he's not actually just Photoshopping it. It makes it hilarious. So like it's very visual. So, you know, you need like YouTube to be able to see what I'm saying here, but like he Photoshopped the, 
the this guy's wearing a Calvin Klein shirt of like, it, it, you know, it just says across the chest Calvin Klein jeans. And uh, so he like photoshopped it with that ripped off. So that little section ripped off. Now you can just see his chest. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's like, fucks up, it actually like fucks up the photo. It doesn't make it good like the girl wants. Uh, and it says Calvin Klein tattooed on his chest now instead of on the shirt. Um, and so it's like, uh, like people will just be like, you know, um, uh, you know, we here's my wedding photo. Uh, but we forgot to wear a mask during our wedding photos. Can you Photoshop a mask on instead of Photoshopping a COVID mask? He'll put like, you know, the green mask from Jim Carrey's like the mask on their face. So it's just like people request it. And then he does the like he does That's the request, good. but he does it wrong in a way that they're not happy with. Um, they'll be like, you know, my my arms look too big here. And then he'll make them like absurdly tiny or whatever. And so it's just hilarious. Like, he's got I, two I look, million followers. He's now. like, I look funny with one arm. And then so he just or uh, you can't see my other arm. So it looks funny with just one arm. And so he just deletes the the, the second arm, so the, the person's yeah. armless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think he has like a book or something like called "The Joy of Photoshop." It's it says uh, asking the wrong guy for help. <laughs> this is awesome. This is cool. I've never seen this. I'm gonna follow him. Uh, you want to go? You wanna do a, a few more quick funny ones? Uh, yeah. Let's do another one. Uh, we have a friend, Nikita Beer. He's pretty funny in like the tech world. Um, what do you think of his account? Hilarious. He's a shithead. Yeah, I'm he, actually uh, amazed that he set, does some of the stuff that he does, and that's why I like him. Well, it's kind of like the Donald Trump rule, right? Which is like you say one offensive or weird thing, um, you know, you're canceled. But you say all offensive and weird things, uh, you're you get like you know you get the pass. But how did he get and away so, with you know, so that, that's that's the key is like if every post makes fun of something, that's cool. If if only one does, then you're an asshole. All of his stuff is making fun of something, so I think it's a great follow, and his profile picture is hilarious. Yeah, his profile picture is uh, <laughs> is good. Um, all right, you want to do one more? Um, yeah, okay. I like this one. Uh, I don't know if you know this guy. I don't think you do. I don't know if you'd be interested in him. His name is Haralabob. What's he do? So Haralabob's story is kind of crazy. Is this the this crypto guy, guy? So he's he's actually he's transitioned from being the 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 one thing guy to the next thing guy to the next thing guy. Okay, so he started off. He got famous because he was a big sports better. And he famously one year, and I think the year 2000, like just absolutely raked it in in Vegas because he found an arbitrage uh, that he could bet on and he just like milked it. And uh, he realized that like, I think it was something, he, he's had a few of these where he basically finds, he would find inefficiencies in the sports betting market. And that's how he made like millions of dollars. So he found like one year that what they would do is, um, let's say that, that they would have an over under a total points for a game. And let's say it's 200 points for the game. Um, now Vegas is like weirdly accurate with over unders. Like they will get it like so spot on. It'll come down to like the last possession and like it'll flip over or under. So they're very good at doing that. It doesn't seem like there's much inefficiency there, but like in basketball, what happens is that the first half of, of basketball, you just play and then you go to halftime. But at the end of the game, there's often this situation where the losing team will start fouling the winning team to like stop the clock, make them shoot free throws and then try to like, they're trying to make threes while the other team can only shoot two free throws at a time. So what it led to was that the second half had more points than the first half, but Vegas had this small bet called the, they would take the over under and it would say, you can bet the first half over under and it was just dividing it by two. So it's like dividing the total by two. So the total was always really accurate, but the, the first half over under was underpriced. It was, it was like too frequently too, uh, too high. So he was just betting the under. So he'd find these like little inefficiencies. How much did he find make? Certain refs 
are really foul prone. Um, and so he would know that, okay, when that ref is refing this game, that team is going to score more than their normal average. And so he, he would analyze the refs when nobody was analyzing the refs and then he would just bet for a whole season on just the refs. Um, and he actually, unco- I think he figured out before the NBA uncovered that that ref Tim Donahue was like sh- cheating basically. Cause like it was always weird shit happening on that guy's games. Uh, and, he, and so he, I, I'm paraphrasing because he doesn't like totally out his whole strategy, but like he's talked about it before. Like, you know, the Lakers in one year were undervalued in a way. And so he was able to bet them. So he made millions of dollars doing that. And I think he, then he became, um, then he gets hired by an NBA. Mark Cuban hires him to be his like secret weapon for the maps. Yeah. But he like, only oh. worked there for a few days, right? No, he worked there for like a year or two. And then he famously, you know, left or slash, left slash got fired this year. He left, but like, an article came out saying everybody in the company hates Haralabob because he has Mark Cuban's ear and like, you know, he has too much power for like his like random position as special advisor and stuff like that. They made him seem like this like master puppeteer and whatever he left. Uh, and now he's like big time and he's been in, he's been big time into crypto recently. And so he's just like the intersection of all my interests, like sports guy. betting, poker, gambling, NBA games and like NBA personnel stuff, franchise management. And now crypto. And so I just think this guy's like kind of a baller, degenerate gambler type of dude. And he kind of looks like a shithead. So I like him automatically. And he, and he's not afraid to talk shit because he's not like employed by, you know, somebody or whatever. Uh, so, you know, he uh, he basically like um, he's kind of like a one man band, which I think is great. I think those people tend to be the most interesting because they could speak their mind. And he's kind of like a shithead, degenerate gambler type. So he's got, you know, the sense of humor that you find when you run in those circles, which is like, you know, part like smart Alec. Cause you're just like actually really fucking smart and clever. And you're finding like the edges, uh, but also part shithead where you're just like, you don't mind just making fun of people and calling them dumb. This episode turned into like the slum dog millionaire of, um, Twitter where like we name, we name 10 things and then a, a super in-depth story on each one and why it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, it's more about their backstories than their Twitter. I think it's going to be cool. Um, ben, what do you think? Are people going to dig uh, stuff like this? People are going to love it. People love lists, like Sean said. We sold out, but you know what? This is a good <laughs> thing to sell out for because it's a good episode. We um we had one title the other day. E- either it's the title or it's the thumbnail. Like they used a thumbnail that I looked stupid, or a title that made me sound like an idiot. And I was like, Ben, I don't like that. And he goes, Oh. You thought that selling out to the algorithm was going to feel good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had them change the title also for the Hassan Minaj episode. It came out. It was like reveals all his comedy secrets. And I was like, I don't even we didn't even talk about that. And like we didn't he didn't even talk about his comedy secrets. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's a guest I'm trying to look cool with, man. You kind of like making me look dumb in front of my friend I'm trying to look cool with. So can we like change that? Like you can make me look dumb, but don't make me look dumb in front of somebody who I care about. Are you guys friends now? Uh, yeah, we're buddies. It's great. That's that's pretty. I feel like that's a big a big thing, right? Like you're you're friends with like a, a guy who's almost a hero. <laughs> almost a hero. <laughs> what a strange description. Well, like I don't uh, know. I didn't know how much you looked up to him, but I knew you looked up to him a lot. Well, okay, there's there's definitely like a part of it which I think uh you know is kind of like the embarrassing part of anybody where it's like. You know, like I find it really embarrassing when people see a celebrity and they fucking lose their mind and they go and they like take a photo with them and they like ask them for an autograph. Like, can you please write your name on this piece of paper? Like, 
I mean, it's a real like bitch move if you think about it. I mean, it's very strange. You know, if I had my memory wiped and I came back into society, I'd be like, well, you just did what? Like, you know, that, why did you make how, yourself seem like such I a used loser? To think, uh, that's how I, I used to think when I would see people with like Trump flags or any other politician flag or they're like his face. I'm like, it's kind of weird to have a grown man's face all over your body. Yeah, exactly. And then like, you know, I fanboy about UFC and shit like that. I get super excited. So there's, you know, there's still people that like I still can fanboy about. So there's definitely that part of it, which is like, oh, it's kind of cool that someone, someone that's kind of famous is like your friend. But that wears off after like, I don't know, 10 seconds. Um, or at least for me, I'm like, this is like a lame feeling. Um, the thing I like is that he actually is super helpful. Like uh, he asked really interesting questions. Like, first of all, we was like, okay, let's take, let's take uh, his career and my career completely out of it. If you have a conversation with this person, do you like them? Do you get along? Like, do you, do they say interesting things? Or is it just boring, same old, same old commentary that everybody has? Like, no, dude's super interesting, has really good questions, has cool opinions. Then the second part of it is, um, are you going to like, like I told you this framework, which is good friends consume together, great friends create together. And so I told him, I said, dude, a dream of mine is to like do like a 10 minute comedy set someday. Like, I just think that would be such a thrill, such a challenge, you know, like that's one of the few things that I can make, you know make me you know nervous or scared is it gonna help is the idea of doing that and so he like i didn't even ask him for help i would never like i wouldn't really ask him for help like dude your time's a lot more valuable than helping me with my like hobby dream you know um like yeah i'm that like kind of out of shape guy who wants to wear the jersey and you know, dribble up and down the court in madison square garden like yeah I, I want that but like you don't need to help me but he has he texts me like really interesting kind of like the stuff i'm you know you, you know i'm a nerd about which is like frameworks kind of like techniques tactics of like okay what's behind the laugh the laugh doesn't just happen you know like there's a there's like there's a, there's a there's a way to consistently recreate the laugh how do you do that and so he's been sharing some ideas with me and so you have to ask him awesome. be like can i share this tweet or can i, I, I share this text I, I did ask him i was like dude you should charge for this like this is unbelievable he's like he's like a don't share my shit i was like okay i'll go to the grave with it and then B, so I haven't told nobody, no, not even, not even my right hand man. I don't, don't, don't even let him take a peek. Then the second part was, uh, he's like, you know, there's like this feeling in like a comedy and, and like acting, which is like, you could teach it, but like, if you teach it, that's sort of like this like signal of like, I, I couldn't do it. So I became that acting teacher in, you know, New York or whatever. Uh, and I think there's that same thing in tech, which is like, uh, are you like teaching it because you like you couldn't make it as the operator. I think there is that stigma in tech as well, but much less so because in tech people figured out if I start blogging about my shit and tweeting about my shit, I get my reputation goes up. I get better deal flow. I get to invest in better, more badass companies. It's like actually strategic. Right. And it's not like that with versus like a fallback plan. Well, I'm very eager, Sean, to hear about your friendship with, with this famous comedian. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you for doing that. Congratulations tell, on making his, a new friend. Ask Hassan to, <laughs> to tell you a text on why that was funny. <laughs> yeah, for some of us, it's natural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dissect that, buddy. <laughs> All right, that's the episode.